that, that before God is creator, before he is our savior, before he is the provider, before he is the sustainer or anything, God is above all the triune God. What is the triune God? What is the Trinity? Isn't that just if you want to go deep into theology? My name is Sean Walker, and I'm glad you've joined us on today's Prepared to Answer podcast. On today's episode, we are going to listen as Scott looks at the centrality of the Trinity to our faith and why only the Trinity can explain God's love. Taken from our Gospel and Culture small group series, we hope you enjoy as Scott unpacks the eternal fellowship of love that is the Trinity. That, that before God is creator, before he is our savior, before he is the provider, before he's the sustainer or anything, God is above all the triune God. First and foremost, he is above all father, right? We know that the way Christ speaks about him, that he is before all things and all things are due to him. Um, so he's father, son, and Holy Spirit. And, and I think when I realize this, I recognize that the, the doctrine of the Trinity is, is so absolutely central to our faith that we, 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 we dare not think of it as some kind of just kind of idiosyncratic doctrine that's it's unique. Uh, it's kind of on the side here. If you really want to go deep in Bible study, you're interested in that. When in reality, this is the very essence of God's identity that he's revealed to us of who he is. That, that looking scripturally, realizing that God is above all, first and foremost, Father. And we look at, at uh, Jesus speaking about the Father, to, and, and when we realize this, that, that everything that God does, he does as a Father. Everything he does is perfectly fatherly. Now, the challenge we have with that is that Father is not always a positive image in people's eyes. And that's because of uh, broken relationships or, or betrayals or, or things of that nature, because of sin. But I think what we need to realize is that the image of God as Father was not something that man plucked out of human experience in order to give meaning to who God is. It's the other way around. That God's identity is Father. And from his fatherliness, we derive the proper sense of understanding of what a father ought to be. But we know, unfortunately, so often is not the case. So it rescues the notion of God as father from any kind of cultural you know, baggage. It transcends culture, that God is, he is the eternal father. And what I find so wonderful is Jesus speaking about the father. This is where we don't have to guess. Jesus is revealing. He says, the father loves the son. So, you know, so he's a father. By implication, that means what? If God is first and foremost a father, by implication, he has children or a child, right? What is a father? A father is someone who begets, right? A child, he has a child and his, his child is the son. And what does he do? A what does a father do? A good father loves his children. And so Jesus says, the father loves the son. That's who he is in his absolute core identity. He is a father who loves his son. In fact, Jesus says the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he is doing. He's a Father that shares everything with his Son because it's, he loves him. For all eternity he's loved him. And so he is a Father who pours out his love onto his Son from all eternity. Well, of course, that raises the question then, who is the Son? Well, let's again take creation off the table. We have the eternal existence of the triune God 
Who is the son in his core identity in this triune economy? He's the beloved of the father. He says, Jesus says this in John 14, 29. He says, now, he's speaking to his disciples. He says, now I have told you before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe, but so that the world may know that I love the father. He's explained to his disciples why he must go to the cross, why all this must take place. And he says, it's so that the world can know that I love the father and I do exactly as the father commanded me. That's who the son is. The son is the one who receives the, the eternal love of the father the object of the Father's love, and, and in response and in reciprocation, he gladly and willingly and joyfully does anything the Father desires, fulfills the Father's will, completes it purely out of gratitude, not in order to get the Father to love him, but precisely because he is loved by the Father. Now, of course, as a third person in this divine economy, and that is the Spirit. And the Spirit's role scripturally this is shown to us in a marvelous way, the Spirit's role is to be the communicator, the one who takes the love of the Father and communicates it to the Son. In essence, the Spirit takes the Father's love and he pours it out for the Son to receive. And uh, Paul alludes to this in Romans chapter 5. Paul says that hope does not disappoint. He says, because the love of God, so he's speaking about the Father, the love of the Father has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. Who is the one who communicates the love of the Father to his children? It's the Spirit. That's the Spirit's role. And, and wonderfully, in this eternal fellowship of love, the Son receives the love and he just responds in kind and does whatever the Father desires. He fulfills the will of the Father, which incidentally, that just makes the Father love the Son even more. And so he pours out his love on the Son and it's this Eternal fellowship of love. Now, I don't have time, and I don't want to digress. I wish this will be another series maybe. But this is, this is the reason why the Trinity is the only way to make sense of God. In order for God to be a loving God, if love is truly his nature, right, it's not just a byproduct, then God cannot be just one person. For if God was just one person for all eternity, then for all eternity, who was he loving? There was no one to love. So love could not be a part of his nature. It would have to be a necessary result of creating. He had to create in order to become loving. That's the God of Islam, who is a, who is a monad. He is a single individual deity. In fact, his individuality is the core of his essence. The, the Muslims say he is tawhid, which makes him completely individual and unfortunately completely untouchable. Anyway, digress. Not so the triune God of the Bible. He is this eternal God of love. And we get, probably get the best snapshot of, God's, of, this, of this eternal loving relationship in Matthew, um, Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 3 of Jesus' baptism. Here we have this, we really have it playing out uh, in Matthew chapter 3, where Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water and then Matthew records, at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. So here's the Father now pouring his Spirit out upon his Son and then a voice from heaven speaking and saying, this is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And Luke records that in the, the transfiguration, when that happened, God says, this is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
So we have this marvelous picture of this eternal relationship of love. Now, uh, remember the subject we're talking about here is identity, okay? And I uh, just want to be mindful of the time. John 17, for me, is probably one of the greatest passages in the New Testament where we get a picture into, uh, a window into the, the, the picture of the love relationship between God the Son and God the Father. And here Jesus is praying on behalf of his disciples and then by extension on, on our behalf, those of us who would believe in his message. And Jesus writes this, he's, or Jesus says this, he's speaking to the Father. He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me. Why? Because you loved me before the creation of the world. You see, the glory of the Son is that he is the beloved of the Father. Then Jesus goes on and says, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know, that's my disciples, they know that you've sent me, and I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known. See, why did Jesus come? What is it, what is it that he wanted for us? What did he want us to know? A set of prescripted doctrines or some kind of formula for getting to heaven? No. His ultimate desire, his reason for going to the cross, his desire for each of us is that we would know the Father. He wants us to know his Father just as he knows his Father. And there's a very good reason for that. And it all has to do with identity. And then he says this, and this is a statement I still can't get my head around. He says, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself might be in them. This podcast has been a ministry of Prepared to Answer. Our mission at Prepared to Answer is to help prepare, equip, and encourage the Church of Jesus Christ to grow in confidence of faith by teaching Christians to think like Jesus. To access more resources to help you begin understanding life and the world around you with the mind of Jesus, visit our website at www.preparedtoanswer.org. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at, at @preparedtoanswer, or contact us directly by email at info@preparedtoanswer.org. At May the Lord bless and keep you.